0: Welcome to the Off the Field Podcast. This is another episode. Today's guest is Mr. Shondell Reed from the University of Washington Athletic Department. Uh, remind, me, remind me your title again, Mr. Reed?
1: Um, senior Associate Director of Athletics.
0: So what's involved with the, with that position?
1: Um, right now, my role, you know, Senior Associate Director of Athletics is a title that um, usually means you're on the senior staff of the athletic department. Um, what's involved in that particular title can take a lot of different forms. Um, You could be a senior associate director of athletics and oversee budgets or external operations or communications and things like that. In my particular role, I oversee our athletic training unit. I oversee our um, equipment staff, our strength conditioning staff, and I'm also the lead sports supervisor for seven varsity programs, uh, both soccer programs, our men's and women's basketball program, men's and women's tennis program, and uh, men's rowing program.
0: And that's because University of Washington is such a large athletic department and there's so much that goes into it. You guys split it up and obviously it's a lot of work for one person to try to see over, oversee everything, right?
1: Exactly. And it, we do have a lot of – there's a great deal of collaboration that goes mm-hmm. on because, you know, the, de- depending on the situation, depending on the time of year, the topic, what have you, there will be some crossover yeah. from, say, strength conditioning to communication, strength conditioning or to marketing, you know, athletic training to marketing, things like that. So there is some – over, there's some overlap there, so yeah. there is a t- great deal of collaboration that goes on amongst the senior staff and the other administrators at the school, um, even though you're right, it is a large athletic department, 650 student-athletes, mm-hmm. 23 sports. So,
0: A lot of money that goes into a lot of resources and <laughs> things like that? Uh, a ton. Yeah. The,
1: the, the amount of resources that we pour into the program is uh, significant, and again, all all towards preparing the student, making sure the student-athletes can be as successful as they can on the field mm-hmm. and prepare them for life after graduation.
0: And it seems, I mean, you you said you oversee the training staff and strength conditioning, and it seems like, especially more and more, that's becoming like a major selling point when it comes to recruiting for coaches. They bring in, they show the facility, they show the, you know, potential student athletes, the facilities, and that's a lot of, you know, who has the newest high tech, you know. Right way of training or who has, you know, the cutting edge methods. How important is that obviously for you guys? I mean, obviously to say ahead, but when you see your competitors, like you see a UCLA go out and spend a lot of money, do you feel like you have to keep up in that area?
1: I think the one thing that we've tried to do is we always always want to keep up. We always always want to make sure we're giving our student athletes the best that we can so that mm-hmm. they can remain competitive, but we also want to be prudent about it. And, you know, one of the things that I often hear from our staff when it comes to technology and things like that is, there are a lot of institutions out there that will buy it and bring a prospective student in on a visit and say, hey, we've got the new latest and greatest technology, but once you're on the ground and you're there, it doesn't really get used or mm-hmm. you hardly use it. And some some of that stuff is very, very expensive. And, and they so, just show it off and yeah, try to bring it, you yeah, in. Yeah, you know, when you walk in and it's sitting on the wall looks or really it's on cool. the room floor, it looks really cool, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that kind of thing. But you know, one of the things we talk a lot about before we would consider adding anything is, are we going to use it? You know, and again, it's not just a matter of buying that equipment. Who's going to operate that equipment? Who's going to maintain it? It, Is there any additional hardware or software that is involved in also getting that equipment? And again, are we going to use it? That's always my question. You know, I'm always asking, you know, again, I don't need to know all the intricacies of it. I didn't grow up as a strength coach. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not my area of expertise. But just from an administrative perspective, if we're about to enter into a a long-term contract... With a company and we're about to expend um, a great amount of funds, I want to know that we have an infrastructure in place where we can properly use it, bring the full weight and the resource of it to bear for our student athletes so that we get the most out of it versus, like, just having it sit there. And yeah, that's a smart approach. A- and to be able to say, hey, we have it, and that's cool. Yeah. You know, that's that's a lot of money to spend yeah. just to be able to say that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And for you personally, what got you involved in athletics? What uh, drew your interest?
1: I grew up on sports. Um, You know, ever since I could, as long as I can remember, I have an older brother who's five years older than me. So as long as I can remember, um, I was at the park with my dad and my brother Mm and my brother played football and, you know, it was before I could was able to play, but I yeah. was always there around it around it, and so the first opportunity I had to play, I was playing mm-hmm. and um you know that was just part of our household is you 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 got the best grade you could, you went to school and you worked out yeah. <laughs> you know you, you trained and so yeah, you know by the time you know by the time I got to college, I decided not to play anymore, and it wasn't because I didn't want to it was you know just kind of the culture i grew up in you were if you weren't the best player you hung up your cleats which you know now having worked in college athletics for almost 20 years i realize is a silly approach to it you know there's a lot like, of opportunities people well, yeah, to walk the, on the, the, and the things con- like that the concept of the walk on the concept of a D2 or D3 school the yeah. concept of a mid major or a low major school those yeah. were all you know, for me, those were all concepts that weren't discussed back when I was in high school. It was you play, you play football, you play on the football team, and if your skill set isn't good enough to go to a Washington, to go to a UCLA or a USC, then you—it's your time. Your time's up. You—you you know, it was a good run, and you moved on. And so, you know, it's fascinating looking back on it now to think that you know, as, as a high school senior now. I probably could have gone to a San Diego State or something like that or a Boise State. Well, not Boise State because they're really, really good. But a school, a smaller school, um, got a good education, got that education paid for, and still had an opportunity to participate in sports at the college level.
0: Yeah, that's true. And when it was, you know, so when you did make that decision and, you know— yeah, although you you know probably could have kept playing, but you you decided to hang it up. What made you transition to looking at potentially you know still staying in athletics, but from an administrative role?
1: Uh, that didn't happen right away. That yeah. um, when I decided to hang them up, um, when I was an undergrad, I was a journalism major. And okay. So in some respects, I was still in sports because I was a journalism major covering sports, mm-hmm. and um, so I was doing that. But there was never any thought about college athletics administration or anything like that. That, that bug kind of hit me. Um, that didn't hit me till I got to graduate school. Um, I actually had the opportunity to come to Seattle U Law School. And um, my third year, going into going to, approaching my third year of law school is when, you know, you really start having that soul-searching moment. I'm a year away from graduating from yeah. law school. A uh, number of conversations about what area of law do you want to practice? You know, what area of law do you want to go into? And before I started law school, I had worked as a paralegal. And so I worked at a law firm before. And then by the time I got approached my third year, I had interned at law firms. And so the question was, well, what law firm do you thinking about working at and where do (laughs) you want to go? And, you know, in my mind, it just wasn't a passion of mine. You know, there was nothing wrong working at a law firm, but it wasn't like. It's not what you're interested in. Yeah. I didn't get up in the morning thinking, I can't wait to get to the firm (laughs) today. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. And so, you know, I started doing a little soul search, soul searching and just said, what do you, you know, what are you passionate about? You like, you love sports. And even as a law student, you know, I used to we used to talk about sports all the time. If we weren't studying, we were talking about sports and we were watching games. And one of my best friends from law school, we were talking about golf and what have you. And so, yeah. you know, it just got to the point where I was, you know, I began to wonder if there was a way to marry my legal education with my love for sports and see if I could make a career out of it. And so um, started exploring that late in my third year of law school. And it just kind of took off from there. A um, couple of good breaks and had to take a couple of steps back financially as a, mm. you know, as someone with a JD. I had to go intern and make yeah. little to no money and kind of start from the bottom. Um, where a lot of the friends I went to law school with, of course, were going off to firms. Working and, in firms you know, and making good money, Making yeah. good money and that kind of thing. Um, but didn't really phase me too much because I knew that this is what I wanted to be doing. It wasn't – there's been very few moments since I made that decision that I've looked back and wondered if I should have gone on and practiced law. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> having you know your passion, your interest behind it—that's a major part of anything you do, right? That has to be the number one driving force. Yeah, it
1: just—it—it. It, I never feel like I'm going to work. I, you know, I never yeah. feel like, hey, I've got to get up and go to work today. And that's not to say there aren't some difficult days that there aren't challenging situations that I run into. That's not what I mean by that. I just mean, you know, I can still smile even when there's difficult situations because I'm like, you know, I get to work with fantastic student athletes, fantastic yeah. administrators. And, you know, go to games for a living. You know, I get to, you know, go tonight to watch our senior night in men's basketball and work with a fantastic men's basketball coach. And I'm working.
0: You yeah. know, it's like, really, <laughs> that's working. Work. Yeah, that's you know? work.
1: And so to be able to say that, it does feel like a blessing, even though, you know, it's my job.
0: Yeah. So when you were... In law school, when you realize you want to go down that path, what are some things that you did to get into the field of athletics? Because obviously, law school—I mean, I know there there is some translation now because a lot more people are looking at business side of things, things like that. It used to just be the old football coach became the athletic director, <laughs> right. right? And now it's becoming a little more business-minded. But um, what did you do personally to take some of those steps?
1: Uh, one of the first things I did, and you know, I smile every time I say this because it's kind of funny, but I sent a letter to every single NFL, NHL, MLB, and NBA team, plus all the co- commissioner's offices, and basically said, look, my name's Shondell Reed. I'm a 2L, Seattle University School of Law. I have a passion for sports. I This summer, I will come and work for you for free. Wherever you are, just say you'll take me on. I don't need any money. I will come and work for you for free. Just to get that experience. Just to get the experience. Yeah. I didn't get it. I got some letters back saying thanks, but no thanks. But and again, to be honest, I, if like the New York Giants had wrote me back and said, come on out, we'll take you. I don't know even how I would have pulled it off. <laughs> I would have figured it out. I would have yeah. slept on somebody's couch or whatever if mm-hmm. I had to. But at that point, it was just, hey, you need to get your foot in the door. And so during my 3L year. I realized that the getting the first job was going to be the toughest part because a number of you know just feedback I was receiving was you don't have any experience you haven't yeah. worked in sports. Um so you need that first job you need to get in. And so um there was a program, a masters of sport management program at the University of San Francisco that um said we will get you an internship. Our program will promise you we have a job board, we connect people all the time. We're in the Bay Area, there's numerous opportunities to get Your foot in the door and get internships because you got the Giants, Cal, Stanford, et cetera, Oakland, Raiders, the whole thing. And so there's all these opportunities to get in. So um, I thought, well, if I really want to work in sports, I guess I have to get my master's in sports management. (laughs) And so, (laughs) more school. Yeah, more school, which was, you know, which was somewhat counterintuitive, right? At that point, I was a 3L, the bar exam was just around the corner. And um, fortunately for me, the um, University of San Francisco was the one school that said send us your LSAT scores. And we'll we'll take a look at those mm-hmm. in determining whether or not we'll let you in with your application because the other schools were requiring a GRE. And I'm wrapping up my 3L year. I'm, Barbary is right there. Yeah. St- study program for the bar exam. And I just, I didn't, there's no way I was going to be able to squeeze in a GRE. Before and, you had the deadline <laughs> to apply. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, for all that. And so <coughs> very fortunate that they were able to do that for me. Um, and so I moved down to San Francisco, started that sport management program, and via that program, I was able to get an internship at uh, Cal, at UC Berkeley, uh, in their athletic department doing marketing promotions. So yeah. the kids you see out on the court throwing his T-shirts into the stands mm-hmm. and, you know, all the... Yeah, you like in, in, half in half the court arena, court win, yeah, you know, running all those thing. things. That was me. So, you know, here I am with my JD and my yeah, master, Masters. Probably the most overqualified person doing um, that. You know, my little brown khaki pants and my Cal Polo <laughs> shirt. And I'm out there doing the damn thing, and it was it was a blast. It was a lot yeah. of work. But, again, it was a lot of work, but I'm at a Cal basketball game. Mm-hmm. I remember I think Andre Iguodala was on Arizona, so I was at that game. And, you know, you got to see some really good football, some really good basketball, to be around some fantastic student athletes yeah. and coaches and really kind of get into it. And, you know, the goal at that point was... Just do the best job you can because the folks here are going to help you get the next one, Mm. and the next one, and it's going to snowball. But you got you're in the door now, so make it happen. And so um, that's that was the genesis of it from my three L year through uh, my time at Cal.
0: Yeah, and putting in that hard work is able to get you know obviously climb the ladder and get some references and work your way up from there.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I had a had an opportunity to run a golf tournament because um, my Cal. They had had a couple of staff members who departed for other positions, and so there was a the person who usually would run the alumni golf tournament was gone. And so uh, a couple of the senior associates asked me if I would step in and run it. And, mm-hmm. again, I wasn't saying no to anything back then. Yeah, you're just going for it. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was going to say, did you have any experience <laughs> yeah, in something like that? I had no idea. what I, wasn't, I didn't know. Yeah. Um, I got a binder. This is what we did last time out and kind of wait, waited. waited waited through that. Yeah. Uh, my supervisor helped me helped me uh help me through it cuz uh, she had done a similar event before. And um but again I knew that the, you know I, again I was willing to take on anything. Mm-hmm. And then the the two guys, the two senior associates who asked me to take that on went on to be ADs at other schools and were on my reference list. And so as I applied for the next job and the next job, I could say, "Hey, call this person, call that person, yeah. and they will and they would vouch for me cuz mm-hmm. they knew I had stepped up." And so that was huge, but it was, you know, I just kept saying even at early on, I said, if I can just get that first job, if I can just get that first opportunity, yeah, I will crush it. Get and, your foot in the door yeah, and then and go get that there. next one and that next one and that next one, but that was always the plan. But getting that first one was incredibly challenging. I probably applied for well over 100 opportunities, internships, jobs, et cetera, all over the country, and to get, to get that, finally get in my foot in the door at Cal. I applied for a ton of jobs.
0: Yeah. Do you think – so it seems like it's a pretty common thing, but in the athletics world, making sacrifices seems to be very common in everyone's path. Everyone I've talked to so far seems like they've made some kind of sacrifices no matter what position they're at now. Along the way, they had to either – for less money or sacrifices in their personal life, things like that. That's that's pretty common in the athletic world.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, I think – you know, one of the things I often say is, you know, if my willingness to move, I think, was huge. I mm-hmm. think, you know, now, uh, you know, wife and a kid, I'm not. You're stuck. Again, yeah, I'm not stuck. Just, I'm not but stuck, yeah, but you're, that's where you're planted. The, the, the you decision some, process yeah. about whether or not to pack up and move somewhere, it's not just about me. Yeah. Whereas back then, you know, I would have. I almost had the. I had the opportunity to take a job in Fairbanks, Alaska, and I was gonna go. You're gonna go. I had the opportunity. My next opportunity at Ohio State opened up right as I was looking at that job. Okay. But I was days away.
0: What was the position?
1: I was in uh, their compliance office. Okay. It was a, and it was a full-time position. It mm-hmm. was a full-time, full-fledged position in the athletic department at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And um, they said, we're going to fly you up. We're going to do a formal interview. So I shouldn't say take the job. I had gotten... You were in the process. Like, yeah, one yeah. of the few places at that point I had submitted so many applications. Mm-hmm. And they actually called back and said, oh, we'll interview you. We'll fly you up and interview you. So I was... Yeah, you were ready for it. I yeah. was excited. And so, you know, of course... Telling my mom that I might move to Fairbanks, Alaska, <laughs> and she's down in L.A. was, you know, yeah. was fascinating, if to say the least. <laughs> but I would that I, I always mention that story to people because to demonstrate my willingness to move mm-hmm. anywhere. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure Alaska and Fairbanks, Alaska, is a fine place to live, but yeah. it wasn't it wasn't on your radar. It was not on my radar yeah. as a destination, and I was more than willing to go up there. work if that's what it was going to take for me to get the experience and it just so happens that I was fortunate to get a call from Ohio State University uh, prior to flying up for that interview and they had an opportunity for an internship it actually paid less money but you're but I wanted to I didn't want to go to Fairbanks and I wanted I'd rather have gone to you know Big Ten school yeah I knew I was going to get the opportunity to work around some fantastic administrators and so um, I pivoted and took the move to Ohio State instead.
0: What was the internship title for them?
1: Uh, it was just, a, I was, this was just an internship in the just compliance in the athletic- office. I oh, was okay. in the compliance, compliance. office. And my, my first – I started off in marketing at Cal, but that was more along the lines of, hey, you just want an opportunity in the athletic department to show you can work. Mm-hmm. And once I started working in the marketing and promotions department at Cal, I realized there was another area in the athletic department that dealt with NCAA compliance and NCAA rules. And so as someone who had just graduated law school a year or so yeah. before – a lot of how the rules marry themselves with a set of facts and things like that and waivers and interpretations of rules and things like that kind of fit with the skill set I had developed while I was a student in law school. So um, I started looking at jobs in the compliance area thinking that might be my niche to get in the door yeah. um, to getting some opportunities at other schools. And so my when I went out to Columbus, that was my first compliance job. And so I, it was a staff of seven, and I was an intern. Mm-hmm. And sitting, you know, sitting in the back room <laughs> with a bunch of, you know, a few other interns and, yeah, you know, it was just, it was a grind. But again, it was, it was fun.
0: Did you ever have that feeling? I mean, it sounds like you didn't, but did you ever have that feeling of along the way you're making these sacrifices, you're traveling all over the place. You ever think, man, you know, I'm I'm pretty overqualified for this. When it comes to, you know, you, you've spent time, you've, you've been in law school for that, that long. You've gone to you a bunch of different schooling, you know, you've yeah, taken the higher ed route. Does it feel that were there every time that you questioned it?
1: Uh, for sure. Yeah. There was there was a day I remember being in uh when I was in Columbus at Ohio State, and again now I'm two years in I'm on my second my second internship I've got a year and some change experience under my belt, and you know I'm still talking to friends who I went to SU <laughs> with who yeah. are now working at law firms and what are you doing you know and they didn't quite understand what the job was, mm-hmm. and what I was doing and you know I know how much I'm making out in Columbus Ohio I'm making like eight hundred bucks a month. Yeah. And trying to pay rent, you know, and just survive. And I remember there was a day where I needed—I would literally spend an entire day at a copy machine. Literally an entire day. I had to make copies of like three or four banker's boxes full of documents with staples, and I remember, yeah, just yeah, screaming at the machine. Oh, that one had a staple. <laughs> There's a paper jam. You know, the whole thing. And so I just remember, like, literally standing there at the machine all yeah. day, going. And at that point I had gotten my masters from USF. So now <laughs> I'm sitting here going, dude, you're you're almost you know, you're thirty years old. I was pushing thirty at that point. And you're you got a law degree and a master's degree and you're at a copy machine. Doing busy work. Doing busy work. Yeah. You know, and you know, I remember I remember I called my mom and she was like, Why don't you just move back to Seattle, take the bar exam? You met you had a good run. <laughs> it's been, you know, you you took your swing at this thing, yeah. but go ahead and, you know, you can always go back to Seattle and take the bar exam. And I said, I said, I'm still convinced this will work out. I'm mm-hmm. still convinced that it's going to work out.
0: Where did that faith come from?
1: I just, well, two things. One, I had faith in just my work ethic. And, yeah. You believing know, in yourself, and believing in myself, and I'll also say that I felt like to some degree when I left Seattle, U law school, I felt like I stepped off on, stepped off a plank because when I was a three L, and I was even telling friends, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to get my masters in sports management at USF and try to work in sports." You're mm-hmm. gonna do what? <laughs> what did you just do? Three years of law school for you know all yeah, those questions. Exactly. And so I will I'll be honest. One, I didn't want to give up on it because I really did want to work in sports, and I really did think that it was where I could really you know, make an impact and impact mm-hmm. student-athletes' lives and really in- enjoy it. But at the same time, I also said, there is no way in hell I want to move back to Seattle and say it didn't work. That was... Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm just... I, do ha- I don't I do have a ton of ego, but I got a little bit of ego. Yeah. And my ego just was not going to allow me to come back up here, take the bar exam, and then... Mm-hmm. Have to reach out to folks who had told me this might have been a bad idea and say, uh, "Can I get it's a in job? Can you help me out?" Yeah, that I would have done it if it meant putting food on the table for family, whatever. Of course, I would have done it. But at that point, I was like, "I'm not. I'm. Maybe the day will come where it's time to hang them up." But I'm only two years in. That day's not here. Yeah, and I'm still convinced. I'm working around some great people. I'm still convinced this can happen. I'm just gonna keep. I'm just gonna stick with it.
0: When did you have that point where you realized this, this has worked out.
1: You know? <laughs> uh, probably, I would honestly tell you that it was probably about eight months later. Really? Because, you know, um, it, it, I wouldn't say it bottomed out. I think bottomed out would be a bit of an exaggeration. But, you know, um, when I finished up at Ohio State, I had interviewed for a job at the University of Texas. Okay. And um, was convinced I had crushed the interview. And I made the cardinal sin. At least in my circle of friends, we always say when you interview somewhere, don't you jinx it if you look at housing. Don't jinx it. By oh, you're already looking at where potential. you're gonna move. Yeah, and... don't do that. They say you jinx it if you do that. <laughs> that was what we used to always say. Yeah. And so I was so convinced that the interview went well that I started looking at housing. And of course, I get the call, and I didn't get the job. And um, the person who didn't hire me said, you know, we loved you. We thought you were great. There was just somebody who we thought was a better fit. Coincidentally, a colleague of mine has reached out because they're looking for someone. Do you mind if I pass your name along? I said absolutely, mm-hmm. and I thought that was just a nice way of letting me down easy, making me feel better. You didn't but think it was fact, a real offer? I didn't think it was real. Other, yeah. And so at that point, now my internship at Ohio State's coming to an end, and I don't have any. You know, this fell through. I didn't have anything else teed up, and I didn't. That I started like, oh man, this is really. What's my next move? I'm going to be on the yeah. street, you yeah. know, here—not literally on the street, but not but yeah, unemployed, not, yeah. you know.
0: And I don't have so they, so they don't have that um, that. You know they weren't looking to hire from within and bring you up.
1: No, it was a year long program, and they try to help you find other jobs. Now again, if someone on this full time staff had left, I might have had an opportunity, but nobody was leaving. Yeah, they're all kind of, and so everybody was kind of settled in, and so the time was coming Mm -hmm. where it was going to end, and I had to figure out what I was going to do. And again, fortunately, and you know, one of the things I'm sure we'll talk about later in this is, you know, just relationships, just the, the relationships I developed. So a friend of mine who I went to USF grad school with was working for the Seahawks. Okay. And, um, I actually, I had driven from Columbus to, um, Indianapolis and met him at the combine just to hang out <laughs> and catch up. Cause he was down at in Indy at the combine.
0: So it was about this time of year.
1: Well, it was, yeah, it was about this time of year. Yeah. And he said, Hey, if you ever need something, I might be able to get you on with the Seahawks. So give me a call. And so, you know, again, this is probably three months later when the Texas thing falls through mm-hmm. and I'm sitting around thinking, what am I going to do? And I think, Seahawks. <laughs> so I called him and said, "Hey, is that you know? Is there still a possibility?" He said, "Let me let you know." He gets back to me. He said, "There is." He said, "Can you get out here in July for training camp?" And I said, "Absolutely." And so I packed up my car and moved all the way from Columbus to Seattle, and was working at Seattle Seahawks training camp. And again, I'm the gopher. I'm wearing again. I'm back in the khaki pants still. Yeah, I'm running around at in Cheney, Washington, because they were at Eastern Washington at the time. Doing training camp stuff, but with the goal of, hey, maybe I can be an intern in the front office, maybe work with the GM, perhaps work with the guy who manages the salary cap and that kind mm-hmm. of thing, and maybe learn that side of the business, learn the CBA, the collective bargaining, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. And so um, I'm working training camp for the Seahawks, and I get a call from the athletic director at Colgate University, and he says. Amy from Texas gave me a resume and passed it <laughs> along and I was like, Whoa, she really did that. Yeah. And he said, you know, would you be interested in um joining my executive staff as a full fledged administrator, full time job, not oh. internship. And I of course I had no idea where Colgate was and it really didn't matter, but I thought I'd yeah. ask, and he was, you know, it's in upstate New York, just outside I saw Syracuse. And I said, Hey, I'll come check it out. So I flew out there, you know, one stoplight, one hotel, a McDonald's in the bookstore yeah and um you know he was but he was excited about the opportunity he was just starting there he thought i would be a good fit for his staff um there was some growth opportunity there he had he had seen some opportunities to do some things he said i came highly recommended and he wanted me to be his first hire and so i came back out here and just asked the seahawks hey you know i'd prefer to stay west coast of course um from the west coast originally was you know and i love the nfl i'm a huge nfl fan I said, what is the possibility that I can get on here full time? Because, you know, if I can stay here, I'll mm-hmm. do that. And they, you know, their position was, you know, you're doing great, but we don't typically sit down and we go through all these positions and the different opportunities when we break camp. And they needed, and Colgate needed a decision right away. And I thought, you know, the prospect of turning this opportunity down yeah. and then finding out two weeks later or what have you that I wasn't going to be a part of the Seahawks. And now we're well into September, and a lot of the college athletics jobs maybe not available because they've already started their seasons. seasons. Just wasn't a risk I was willing to take, so I went ahead and took the Colgate job. So literally, I was in Seattle. I was back out in the West Coast for maybe a month Mm -hmm. before I packed up and headed back out to the East East Coast to uh, upstate New York. Yeah, man, that's a and that's when I when I got that job, and it was a full time job and the athletic director was just fully supportive and we're going to get this thing done and you mm. and me and we're going to build this thing and <laughs> and I'm like wow I'm in, you know my title was assistant athletic director at the time and you know again uh, you know a few months before I was your intern intern yeah and so now I'm like full-time guy full regular salary with benefits the whole thing <laughs> and I just thought okay now I've got a role now yeah, I really got to go and he's you know he's going to give me some runway he's going to give me the support I have really got to go now and make this thing go and so i thought okay now i'm in so now it's just a matter of continuing again the plan was always get the opportunity do the best job yeah. you can really be impressive really you know do the job as best you can and get the next one so at that yeah. point i was like okay rinse repeat and go for crush it. crush it here at colgate and then maybe someday you'll get back out to the west coast because ultimately i would you know i wanted to be on the west coast yeah. you know and upstate new york was great But I grew up in L.A. West Coast guy. Yeah. You know, I wasn't used to minus (laughs) 10 temperatures and things like that. And so it's like if I can do what I love doing, which is this in a place I love living, Mm -hmm. that would be the ultimate. And so keep working your butt off and maybe you'll get an opportunity to do this type of job in a place where you would love to live long term also. So.
0: What is that the first day in the office like once you get the job, once you move all the way out there? You you go from being an intern and obviously helping out a training camp and all those kind of things where you have responsibilities but it's not on you, like you're not the guy mm-hmm. to getting there and now all of a sudden like people are looking at you like you're you're one of the guys.
1: It was it was a bit nerve wracking initially, yeah. you know. I think but I but the one thing that made it easier, I will be honest, the one thing that made it easier is that the athletic director made it clear that we were in lockstep that we are going to build this thing together. It was his first month on the job, too. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like, you know, he dropped me in the office and said, okay, go do (laughs) what you do. You go figure it out. It was a lot of collaboration. Yeah, hey, here's my plan. Here's what I'm trying to do. Hey, what about this? What about that? You know, there really was a collaboration, a trust, a support. And so it did make it a little easier to hit the ground running because I knew that even if, you know, I felt like I had the freedom to make some mistakes here and there. You know, yeah. he, he knew I was an intern just months before he knew mm-hmm. that because, you know, he had done it. You know, he had gotten the recommendation. So he yeah. had a sense. It wasn't as though I misrepresented myself during the interview process and he recruited me to come there. Yeah. So he, he knew what he, he knew was what he was getting. getting. Yeah. And so I just felt like there was a comfort level and I felt like, hey, this is not a power five school. We're not going to be in the media so even if we don't get it right, it's not going to be this national scandal. It's not anyway. highlighted. And, yeah. and again, not, that's not to say that you don't want to be excellent wherever you mm-hmm. are. But I also knew, hey, this will be great. I'll be able to get my hands on a lot of different mm-hmm. areas because we were very small staff. And at the same time, hey, if there's some misses here or there, you learn, you keep moving forward. And I know that I've got the support of my athletic director who brought me in, who's going to be, you know, who's going to help. And he had been an athletic director for years. Okay. You know, he had come from Brown University, had been there for a very long time, had been involved in college athletics for many years, so he had seen it all.
0: So he's a really good mentor. Yeah, yeah he yeah. had seen
1: it all and done it all. And so it wasn't like we were both learning on the fly. He was learning that institution at the same time as I was, but he had seen a ton that and, yeah yeah so
0: that probably helps a lot
1: oh it made a huge difference yeah
0: and yeah, having the, the having the support i mean obviously in any job it helps to yep. know that you have support and you you you're backed but yep. i feel like in athletics too because in an athletic department how do you define success what does success look like for you because i mean wins and losses on the field it's real easy to be like mm-hmm. you know to point to it be like yeah we're doing really well here but a lot of times it's not that easy
1: i think i think i define success as when student athletes realize the value proposition of what they signed up for. So, you know, student athlete says, okay, I wanna go participate at your school. Mm -hmm. And if things go well, they are getting a great experience in the classroom, they're getting some great experience in terms of life skills training and getting experience on how to prepare themselves for life after college. Mm -hmm. And ideally, they're also getting some great experience in how to interact with others and sacrifice for something bigger than themselves and they're also hopefully competing for a championship or two and having some winning yeah. experiences on the field as well while they're doing these things. Yeah. And so when you can look up at the end of a student athlete's senior year and they've been on the honor roll and you know they've been a leader within the athletic department and you've gone and seen them do some presentation on campus or some academic work they're doing, mm-hmm. you know they're going on to a good job or an internship or even professional sports or the peace corps whatever it is yeah. after they graduate. And you know, hey, I stood on the court with them for that second round sweet sixteen game or you know, I was at the Elite Eight with them when we went to the Elite Eight, whatever it is. Yeah. When you know you've kinda they've you've gotten seen that, that full spectrum yeah. and gamut of experience, then you know you've been totally successful. And I'm not saying if you pull any of those pieces out, they haven't been. Mm-hmm. But if you were like that was a truly, truly, truly a success, you can probably point to a lot of those elements on the back end and say if they got that level of experience while they were here then we really we really did our job
0: how do you translate the success or i mean how do you get it across cuz obviously it's one thing for for you to know it and have that sense but how do you you know tell people that how do, how do you get that message across
1: we we tell that story in a lot of different ways we tell yeah. that we tell that story to the people who support our program i mean if you've ever been uh, to any of our games you'll see it on the video boards and things like that we tell that story to constituents all the time we share it with um, Faculty members on campus, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that kind of thing. I mean, it's routinely shared. Again, we don't blast it in the Seattle Times or anything like that, <laughs> yeah. but um, we do make it a point to spread it throughout the athletic department because it's what keeps people going, right? It's, yeah, it's a, an example of hey, why we do this. You know, mm-hmm. I often say that I'll, there'll be moments sometimes throughout my career where something will happen, or I'll be in a moment, and I'll just find myself saying, "This is this is why you do it. This is why we do this. This is awesome." And again, not because of anything I'm particularly doing, or anything like that, but just to see a student athlete get to experience something or do something, I just sometimes I just kind of take that hard pause and say, "Wow, this is this is why this is all worthwhile. This is why this is an awesome career. This is why this is awesome to be able to experience and do alongside these uh, student athletes, coaches, staff."
0: That's huge. That's I mean, that's that's really refreshing to hear, and that's that's an awesome thing. And you've been all over the place right you've been to a lot of different as we just you know <laughs> right. uh, talked about what are some common features across i mean all three divisions or you know no matter where you are geographically or what you know level the school is what are some features of an athletic program that are universal that everybody does i, deals I with? think
1: i think one of the things that's universal and i think sometimes i, I think nationally it gets lost is students students are students mm-hmm. you know i don't think the student athlete on are top ranked, you know. Pick the team, you know. Is no, is not too much too different from the student athlete on one of my teams when I was at Colgate that maybe not have been competing at a yeah. super high level. They're still a twenty year old. I, they're still yeah. They're still an eighteen to twenty year old yeah. who needs support, who has the same some of the same insecurities and struggles and things like that. And so I think understanding that is something that you know it took me a little while to come to. You know, it took me a while to come around to that. When I was at Ohio State, I was like, "Wow, that's so and so." You know, yeah. that that's student athlete. So for a while, you know, I felt like that, and then I get to Colgate, and I'm like, you know, these these student athletes aren't any different, personality-wise. Now, the ones at Ohio State were probably a little bigger, faster, stronger. <laughs> yeah. But in just in terms of personality and insecurities and mm. life struggles, those things were all the same. And I think that you know, keeping that centered and grounded, I think, is one of the things that's universal no matter what school you're at. Those things are universal.
0: What are some things that you can do from your position to support student-athletes almost on a more personal level? Like, I know you can do things to support a team or support a coach, that which in turn is going to help support those student-athletes, but what are some things that you can do in your job that you find are, you know, very beneficial?
1: I think I think having conversations, especially in difficult moments. I mean, we do, we do a number of surveying with our athletes. We do a number of uh, surveys and conversations and you know again I get to spend time around the student athletes either practice at games I travel with teams um, periodically on a road contest yeah. and, you know you're at team meals and things like that and a lot of times it's not I mean we have units within our athletic department that are specifically designed to help prepare students for life after college we do we have specific people who yeah. do that but from my position a lot of times it's just conversations it's if if there's a difficult situation is hey You know, we'll get through this. Mm -hmm. Here's how you should think about this going forward because you're going to run into this after you graduate. You know, I remember when I got to Colgate, I remember um, one of my first, it was probably my second year there, and this is even before I had a family, so it's funny that I would say something about what I'm about to tell you. (laughs) But, you know, I remember one of the things that was discussed was we were doing a check-in with some student-athletes, and they were talking about, you know, we've got class, we've got weights, we've got film. Mm Mm-hmm. Practice games. It's very difficult. You know, we're tired. We're trying to juggle all these things. And I just remember saying I said, you know, you know, in 20 years time, you're going to have your kids little league game and your wife's going to need you to go to the store and you're going to have to do <laughs> some, you know, you're going to have a job. You yeah. have to do it. You you're know, always you, going to have yeah, a full plate. And so, you know, these the stuff you're dealing with now is probably going to help you prepare that juggling never stops. Yeah. For most people, it just doesn't stop. So yeah I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not trying to de- minimize mm-hmm. what you're saying you're going through now but this does promise me this I promise you, you this does translate yeah. to life after college and, and it helps that's
0: build those skills right, right?
1: for sure and that's, that's the thing I think a lot of the stuff that we deal with and a lot of things we go through and student athletes go through you could probably tie to something they're going to encounter or have to deal with once they graduate yeah. whether they go professional or not and so i think just having those type of conversations about hey just know this is this is another thing this you know this it'll it won't look exactly like this but you know it will it may look like this and you need to be ready for it yeah. and i also think the one other thing i'll add is that you know student athletes and i think that sometimes in our society when student athletes make mistakes we're just ready to bury them especially in this era of social media yeah it's I, crazy
0: that these you know that 20 year old kids but that just because they played for a bigger school there's or... some
1: kind of in t- increased responsibility is yeah. heaped on them yeah and i think that a lot of times you know nationally and externally there's a quick move to bury them and mm-hmm. you know, kick them off the team kick them out of school yeah. you know get rid of them and you know a lot of what we talk about is you know this young man or this young woman made a mistake you yeah. know so there may be a consequence that we need to deal with for sure, but how do we, you know, I always say, how do we pick them up off the ground, dust them off, mm-hmm. and make sure that we're providing them and fortifying them with lessons so that they don't do it again in the future? It's, it's like when you if you sign and you come to our institution, you know, in a lot of ways I look at it like a marriage. You're, we're together on this yeah, for better or worse, richer or poor. You know, we're together on this, which means if you mess up, there may be a consequence, but you're still ours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. and we'll we'll get through this and we'll figure it out. So,
0: do you feel that pressure? You know, when, when people do want to bury them or you know kick them out or something like that, do you think it's from people that don't want them, you know, representing the university or representing you know a certain team or you know maybe a an alum that'd be like you know this isn't what you represents. But for you, how do you be like no? You know, they just. They
1: made a mistake. Well, I, I, that's exactly what I look at. I, I yeah. think about, I think about it from the standpoint of a parent. You know, too, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, if if the teacher calls and says that my daughter did something at school, I'm, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying I'm going to be happy about it when she gets home. Yeah. But you know, I'm not packing up a bag and sending her off to my yeah. grand to grandma's house. You're know, <laughs> like, oh, that's a
0: reflection. Yeah. Of me. And she's reflecting poorly. <laughs> right. And get her it, out. You know, yeah. it's
1: like, you know, it's you know, I'm not saying I'm happy about it, but. It's a le- it's a learning lesson. Yeah, and it's something we got to fix and we got to ad- address. And I and it's interesting. Every time I see stuff like that, I always think to myself, you know, they would they would expect the same courtesy for one of their own kids. You mm-hmm. know, you know, we have situations. I mean, across the country, you see that a lot. You know, student athlete gets arrested, student athlete's accused of committing a crime, and hasn't been a finding yet, but they've been accused. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, fans and outsiders, well, they've you know, they got to be punished. They got to be kicked off the team. And I always find myself thinking. <laughs> If that was your little boy or your little girl who somebody was saying did something bad, wouldn't you want the process to play out? Wouldn't you want the procedures that everybody else is entitled to? Yeah, every citizen gets, especially coming coming from a legal background, (laughs) right? right? Wouldn't you want that to play out for your son or daughter prior to a punishment being levied? But a lot of times when it's not your kid and you're somewhat detached from it. It's mm-hmm. just like, well, they're the worst and they're so yeah. bad. And it's like, okay, you saw that kid score 20 and 10 in a game <laughs> for a month, and now you know the kid's bad. You know everything there is to know about the kid, yeah. really. And so I think that, you know, that empathetic ear, that that understanding is, is, is crucial. And I think it's easier when you're close to it. Yeah, when, you when you're know, around I think, it. I you'd... think all of us would say that. I think when you're close to it, You know, no matter who it is, a good friend, a colleague, et cetera, I think in those situations, you're usually a little more empathetic if it's somebody you're close to. And, you know, if we're doing our jobs right, we're close to all these student athletes.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. Um, Just looking across the board, you've been in athletics for a while now. You said 20 years. You've had a long road. What are some changes you've seen? In the, you know even the past decade, and I know things are changing a lot. Like you just said, it's not necessarily changing in athletics, but things like social media and you know NCAA legislation, new things being brought in. <clears throat> what are some changes that are affecting your job right now? Or
1: I, I think one of the things that's that's different now, and that I think it's been interesting to try to navigate, is that student athletes now want to be more part of the whole process. So I think when I first started in this business, and I and I can't even honestly say I identified it back then. I just see how it's changed now. Mm-hmm. But I think before, you know, student athlete came to campus, you're going to go to these classes, you're going to show up at practice, I'm going to tell you what we're doing, and we're going to do it. And if we lose, I don't want to hear anything from you. And if <laughs> yeah. we win, you know, and so I think what's different now is that, hey, this is our practice plan for the day. Well, coach, why are we... Doing that. How yeah. come <laughs> we're doing it exactly. like this? And, um, you know, I think the days are gone where a coach can say, well, that's just how we've always done it. Well, that's just mm-hmm. what we do. Well, you, you just shut up and play. I'm the coach. Yeah. Those days are gone. I think student athletes, on a lot of levels, not just the playing, but I think on a lot of levels, student athletes want it to be a more collaborative partner type relationship. They want to know why they're doing certain things, mm-hmm. they want to be read in on athletic department goals, plans, et cetera. Yeah. They wanna feel more connected and involved. And I think that the people who struggle nowadays are people who are used to that approach where, well, you know, how dare you yeah, question questioning, me. Yeah. you know, how you know, when a student athlete is frustrated, you know, we leave open the possibility that they can express those frustrations to us as administrators to see if there's a path forward to reconciliation, to making things better. And I think historically it was—you well, don't listen to the student athletes. You know, they, what do they know? They're just it's kids. The co- yeah. And It's like, no, we listen to them. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not saying that we always will act and do exactly what they expect us to do, or that they say, "Hey, that we want the coach in trouble. We want mm-hmm. the coach to be—you know—disciplined." Doesn't mean the coach will get disciplined, but we do listen. Yeah, we you take it into listen. account. We take it into account. We have a conversation and try to see if there's a path forward. And so. I'd I'd say that's different. And and again, I mean, you mentioned the NIL law, that the money money has gotten so big now that there's just a lot of discussions about, you know, how do we get our piece of the pie? I mean, you know, when you see some of the proliferation of the coaching salaries and things like that, and some of the money just gets spent, you you know, you mentioned Mm -hmm. the food and the technology and things like that, you know, a student athlete is saying, well, where's my you know where's my cut yeah I'm the one out there doing it things like that you You have to have those conversations and again if the coach was making $80,000 a year and the facility looked just like a regular old gym like maybe you had in high school yeah I'm not convinced we'd be having the same, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if we'd be having the same conversation. They
0: feel like they're in a professional environment, and then right. they wonder why they're not getting paid. Right. And,
1: I, and that's why, you know, even when you talked about the success piece, I talked about the value proposition. It's, you know, what, what value do you put on the medical care and yeah. the academic support and the, you know, just again, the, the opportunity to go and represent your institution in intercollegiate competition To experience those successes, to have those conversations and lessons, you know, I mean, you know, most schools, you know, wherever you go, I mean, there's, you graduate, you you don't, you'll never buy a beer in that town again. Yeah, you're a legend. You know, Johnny Manziel goes back to (laughs) College Station, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, didn't hit big in the pros. Yeah. But if he walked into a bar in College Station, Texas, (laughs) you know, he's still a hero. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, again, what? And again, that's I'm not saying that that's why you do it Mm -hmm. by any means, but. I'm just thinking about the entire college experience and the things yeah. you get to experience as a collegiate student athlete, the lessons you hopefully learn, the opportunities you get, the connections you get to make with not only alums and supporters but teammates. What value do you put yeah. on those things? Those things will be with you, you know, for the next 60 years. You know, I, you, know yeah. you hear that argument all the time. It's like you, you see certain guys, you know, I see, you see Jay Billish, you think Duke University. He went to Duke, he played basketball mm-hmm. at Duke, you know, and that's years later, that's yeah, you know, and way down the road, yeah, way down the road, and so you know, I don't know what number you put on it, but I do think that his his brand and his value as you know a thought leader in this industry and you know as a broadcaster was probably benefited to some level by by out. having an opportunity to play basketball at one of the most storied basketball programs in the country,
0: yeah. So what do you, yeah, what do you put on that? And yeah.
1: So how do you, you know, it's like, okay, I went to college and I didn't get anything. Well,
0: you got a lot of you, name you are, recognition. You are a former you,
1: Duke men's basketball player or a former Michigan football player, whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's how you can introduce yourself. Yeah, and, yeah. That, that carries some weight. It does, know? yeah. That carries a lot of weight. And so, you know, how do you put a value on that when the narrative is I did four years of college and I didn't get, quote, unquote, anything. Every now and then you hear people yeah. say I didn't get anything. and well, let's analyze that. Did you really not get anything?
0: Yeah, you know that's pretty interesting too. Because a lot of people, I feel like, a lot of people either that have you know played sports or watched sports, they feel like they can relate to athletes better, even though they they've never met them at all. Right. Even if even if they hadn't watched them play, right. If they know like, oh, you play basketball. Like, I I know you a little bit. You know? Right. It's it, it's that that's an interesting thing that that definitely helps them along the way. think like saying I, right. I played basketball at University of Washington.
1: Right. Which That's, which is fascinating, too, because I think, you know, our, our student athletes are so much more than just their sport. Yeah. You know, they're their families, they're where they're from, their mm. experiences. You know, I think, you know, when we talked about on the way in the door, you know, a student athlete on the football team from Hawaii's experience is a lot different than a student athlete on the football team who's from Texas or L.A. Mm. Or even eastern, the east side of Washington state. It's I'm not saying it's one's bad, one's good. I just it's mean just it, different. It's different. Yeah. It's just different. And so... You know, I think a lot of times, you know, I think that a lot of times um, it's a misunderstanding that a lot of our student-athletes are just their sport. Well, that student's a really good basketball player, so that's what they are. It's like, yeah, you know, that student's really good in photo- really into photography or mm-hmm. art or they're really passionate about social issues and things like that, which is another thing that's great about this job because you really get a window into that side of the student-athlete that maybe the public doesn't always see.
0: That's awesome. And uh, I mean last question here before you before we wrap things up. Um, what is some advice you'd give to a young person looking to pursue a career in athletics and you know administration, looking to get in? I know your route you, you, yours was a little unconventional, but it, it, it worked right it paid off for you.
1: Well, I think I think that continuing to have conversations with people in the industry, mm-hmm. letting people know that you want to be in the industry, letting people, if you do have an opportunity to work, even if it's on a limited basis, even if it's on an an internship, if you have that opportunity, take it, because you just don't know where it's going to lead. You don't know, you know, you continue to try to make connections, continue to try to meet people and express, you know, your passion for what you're doing. And you just never know when you're going to get that call. The, hey, we had an intern who had to leave. We had an intern who had to step aside and we have an opening, you know, doesn't pay anything or it pays very little. (laughs) Yeah. How would you like to come on over? Because I remembered you because we met and we had a good conversation and I knew that you were interested in this. You know, the more you can do that, the mm-hmm. better. You know, or, you know, somebody's looking for someone and someone you've talked to calls and says, Hey, I just had a conversation with a young man on a podcast who would love to do this and you know, <laughs> why don't you give him a call, you know? Uh, yeah. And the more you can do that, the more opportunities that has for happening. The more seeds you plant, the more those, you know, relationships you build, the more you learn. Uh, those relationships have a chance to blossom. And then again, like I said, you the, you get that first opportunity, you got to go. You got to make sure you do your level best. You got to make sure you're connecting with the people you work with. You got to make sure you're doing, you know, no jobs too small, no jobs too big. Yeah. You, you got to make sure you're paying attention to detail and things like that and, and make it happen because it'll lead to the next one.
0: That's really going to stick with me. I mean, having, you know, a law degree and going, getting your master's and still throwing out T-shirts at the game or, you know, things like that, that's <laughs> – that's going to be a major driving point on that's going to stay with
1: me yeah yep yeah, it was it was it was it was a fun ride
0: well thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story i was i really enjoyed talking today i feel like i learned a lot um just a little bit at the end here where can people find you where, where can people learn more about university of washington athletics
1: oh well dot gohuskies.com of course is our is our website um i'd say learn more about me i mean my bio is on the website um yeah I, like i said you know it's interesting you ask that question because again i'd I like working and serving student athletes but it's not about me. So Yeah, exactly. It's not, yeah. It's not like I sit in my office going, you know, how can I get my name out there and get people to learn yeah. more about me? It's you know, I I enjoy working with coaches and student athletes. It's you know, follow them, support support our coaches and student athletes. And, yeah. You know, I'm just here to support them too. So, you know, you don't need to know more about me. <laughs> you know, they're they the they're the ones that you know, they're the ones that this this is all about and need the experience. So all right,
0: well, thank you so much again for coming on today. I really enjoyed talking to you. All right, thank
1: you.